My name is Chris Applegate, and I am the impact director for our middle and high school students here in Kernersville. And we're so glad you guys are all here hanging out with us uh, today. And also, shout out to everybody who is watching online or watching from the app. You guys were safe and sound at home, unlike the people in the splash zone up here from the tilapia toss. Right, you guys all made it okay? Feel good? All right. Well, I have a great fish story for y'all to kind of kick off. It's not tilapia, but it's about a couple other fish uh, in my family. Now, I don't have fish in my family, but sometimes I feel like I have somewhat of a crazy family. Uh, a couple weeks ago for July 4th, Whitney and I, we took our family down to the beach to hang out with my family. And it was a lot of fun, but I don't know if you guys have ever seen Christmas Vacation with Griswold. Uh, I know they don't have a July 4th vacation, but if they did, I'm telling you, it would be something similar to my time down there with our family. We had a blast and we love our family, but sometimes family can just be a little bit crazy. And I know you guys agree with me, but don't raise your hand, don't say anything, because you're probably sitting with your family right now, and that might not be a very good look. But Whitney and I decided to go on to the beach, and the craziest moment probably happened uh, on the first night. And as we're driving down, we catch wind from my mom and from my sister that my little brother Nick went deep sea fishing the day before, and Nick was convinced that he had caught enough fish to feed the entire family. And the thing about our family, uh, we like to eat. I mean, growing up, that last pig in a blanket, that last crescent roll, the middle cinnamon roll, oh, there'd be fights for those things. I mean, you lose a finger, you'd end up, you know, in a cast. I don't know what would happen, but it was crazy around dinner time and lunchtime and breakfast time in our family's house. So when Nick tells us, or we hear that Nick has enough food to feed our whole family, immediately, I'm like, I don't believe that's true. I decided that we had to call Nick ASAP and figure out what was going on. So we decided to give Nick a call. We called him on speakerphone as we're driving down. And I said, hey, Nick, what's this I hear about you having enough fish to feed our whole family? You know we've got everybody coming down, like a big house tonight. Because, see, we have my mom, my dad, my Mimi, one of our uncles, Nick, his girlfriend, my older sister, her husband, their two dogs, myself, Whitney, our 14-month-old Iris, and our 85-pound Labradoodle. Now, not counting the dogs, that's a lot of people that you got to feed. So I said, Nick, what's the deal here, man? Help me understand what's going on. And Nick says to us, oh, yeah, man, I went deep sea fishing yesterday with some of my buddies, got a big catch. I said, all right, but you know our whole, like, we got a big family down. He said, yeah, yeah, I got enough to feed the family. He said, check this picture out. And he sends me this picture. <laughs> and I look at it, and I don't know that much about fish. I like to eat fish, but I, don't, I couldn't tell you what type of fish that was. So Nick had to educate me a little bit. He's a bit of a fishing pro. He's pretty good at those things. And apparently we've got some tuna. And like Jessica Simpson would say, tuna is it's the chicken of the sea. Stuff's delicious. Everybody loves some tuna. And then we had some mahi-mahi. And I've had mahi-mahi before, but the funny thing about mahi-mahi is everybody knows it's the fish so nice, you got to name that joker twice, right? <laughs> so I said, okay, Nick, all right, we can work with this, man. We got all these fish. So I'm excited. And Nick said, no, I, I didn't catch all those fish for us. I said, he said, well, I didn't catch all of them. It was me and my buddies. We all went fishing. I said, okay. So how many do we have? Nick said, two and a half. And I'm, I'm confused. I'm like, all right, Nick, 
I don't know, two and a half. Like, I, I know you went to University of Alabama. I know you guys were a football school, man, and, and I know that you guys take academics seriously down there. I, I get it, but I'm just confused here because two and a half fish, like, how do you have two and a half fish? Like, how does that even happen? I said, well, what, were you, like, fishing, and all of a sudden you caught one, and it is shark week, so I thought he's reeling in maybe one, and a shark comes up and hits it and takes half of it. He's like, no. No, what happened was I started fishing, and I got a little bit hungry. And I said, oh, no. Mind you, my wife is pregnant with our next baby coming in November, so I'm like, you better be careful, dude. I'm, I'm in the car with a pregnant wife. It's probably not good for whatever story you're going to share. He said, no, it's all good. We, you know, I, I went fishing. I caught that first tuna. I said, okay. Then I caught that next mahi-mahi. I said, all right, that's two. And he, has, he said, I caught me another tuna. I said, what? I think that's three, Nick. He said, well, the thing was, I don't know if they ran out of snacks and corn nuts and sunflower seeds or Fritos, whatever he was eating. But Nick said when he caught that last tuna, it got out a little bit late. And he said that tuna started to look real nice. And he got a little bit hungry. And he had the first mate. I don't know if it was Captain Hook or Captain Jack Sparrow, who it was. But that first mate actually decided right there on that boat, without any soy sauce or wasabi or rice, to fillet him half of one of his tunas. And Nick decided to enjoy some southern sushi. Fresh, authentic, right out of the ocean. Now, I don't think that sounded that appealing, that, that appetizing at all. And Nick felt great for the rest of the day. And then until tomorrow, he didn't feel that good. And I don't know if it was because of the fish or what it was. But the craziest thing about it, guys, is I was so worried that we wouldn't have enough fish for dinner. And I was so concerned that when dinner came along, it, it would be a problem. And we wouldn't have enough food. Well, when dinner finally came that night, found out that the fish was well-cooked on his big green egg. He loves his big green egg, and he's very good with it. It was delicious, and there was enough. I was shocked, but somehow there was enough fish. Now, I think for a lot of us right now, we can probably relate with some sort of situation in our lives where we feel like we just don't have enough. My impact students, three big not enoughs they always talk about. First one would probably be gas in their cars. They run around like they know exactly how many miles they have until they run out when their light comes on. Or it could be Wi-Fi passwords and data. So if a kid ever asks you, hey, what's the Wi-Fi? You better know or you're going to lose a lot of cool points. Or Fortnite. Our kids never have enough Fortnite. And parents, you guys definitely relate with that. I mean, they can play it till 1 in the morning and it's still not enough for them. I need another hour. But for us, I think if we look at not enough situations, it's deeper than that. And I want to challenge uh, my impact students to think a little bit beyond that as well. For us, our not enoughs, first thing that probably comes to mind is money. Not enough money. I got bills. I got payments. I got house payments. I got car payments. I've got to get groceries. I've got to get food. There's just not enough money. And guys, we all struggle with this, and this is extremely important. But in God's word, he tells us that if we honor him with our resources and a tithe, then he will provide for our needs. Not necessarily our wants, but he will give us enough for our needs. 
But I'm not going there with you guys today. Instead, I want to challenge us to think right now, in the seat you're sitting in, where do you struggle the most feeling like you just don't have enough to keep fighting? You don't have enough to keep going. You don't have enough to keep being the husband you're supposed to be or the dad you're supposed to be or the employee you're supposed to be. I think for a lot of us, our not enough moments, it could be our marriages. We could have got out of the car, came, walked right in this door, sat in this seat, and we have not said anything to our husband or our wife all morning long. And we're just going through the motions. Husbands, maybe you feel like you never get noticed, you never get appreciated for all the things that you do over and over and over again. And you feel like you can't do enough to make your wife happy and reach her approval. Or wives, maybe you feel like your husbands just don't listen and they don't care and they're not the guy that you signed up to marry. And now you feel like regardless of what you say or what you do, it doesn't matter anymore because you just don't have enough to keep trying and keep fighting. Marriage could be you're not enough. Or it could still be your family. It could be parenting. We've been parents, Whitney and I, for about 14 months. And it is tough work. I don't know how y'all do it. But you had those days where you wake up and you say, you know what? I don't know if I really have enough to be a mom or be a dad today. And you keep working with your kids on something. You talk to them and you tell them how it's supposed to be. And you give them instructions. But they blatantly go out and just completely disregard whatever you had. A curfew or hanging out with certain friends, or dating certain people. That's tough, parents. You feel like you don't have enough if they don't listen or respect what you had to say. That can be a challenge. Maybe it's not even that. Maybe, maybe more for you, it could be a friendship that you have right now. You feel like you can't do enough for that friend, and you wear yourself out over and over and over again, trying to please that person, trying to make them happy, and you can never do enough to be a good enough friend. It could be our jobs, Guys, you know our jobs are tough, and maybe you're busting your tail every day at your work, and all you really want to do is just be noticed by your manager. You wish they knew your name. I don't know what I have to do to do enough at this job to finally be appreciated. It just never works. Maybe it's not your job. You know, maybe it's a health situation. Maybe you just went to the doctors this past week, and you found out some news that you never, ever wanted to hear. And now as you're getting ready to go home, you got to tell your family, you got to tell your friends, you got to tell people about it. You got to tell people at work about it. You don't think you have enough to do that and to fight this long road ahead of you. You're not enough could be uh, some of the people that you're hanging out with right now that you used to be really, 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 really close with and now you've completely drifted apart. You don't have enough to remain in touch with them. You might not have enough after somebody in your family just passed away, a close friend passed away, and now you just really don't know how to pick up the pieces and keep going with your life. I don't know what your not enough is. Your not enough could be in the morning when you wake up and you look in the mirror and you see yourself and you just say, no, not, not today. I don't think if I have enough to go and to be this guy or this dad or this husband or this friend or this worker. Guys, one of the biggest problems with not enough is social media. We get on social media and we compare ourselves to everybody else and people just post their highlight reels. I mean, you see these pictures of families all smiling. You got a clean house. You got the kids smiling, looking right at the camera. Even the dog is like wagging his tail and smiling. Like, come on, man, that's not real. Whatever your not enough is, guys, I want to challenge you this morning as we talk about this to really think 
about how we can get better in these moments. Now listen, if you're not really sure about this whole Jesus guy and you're just coming and checking out church for the first time, we're so glad that you guys are here with us. We hope that you have a wonderful time this morning. But what we're going to talk about is for you guys just as well. Because I guarantee you, if you're not in one of these moments right now, you'll be in one next week or later this month or sometime this year. And you'll need to know the best way to have enough. Hey, Christians, you've been following Jesus for a while, a few years, uh, since you were a kid, however long it's been. Maybe you're sitting out here right now and you're like, you know what? I come to church, I serve, I tithe, I'm in a circle up group. I do everything I'm supposed to do, but I still feel not enough. I'm still stuck in these moments. Or maybe you say, I go from one not enough moment in my life to the next one, to the next one, to the next one, and it never works. Is that supposed to happen? Am I wrong? Is that okay? Like, I don't understand why, this, why I'm going through this right now. Hey, here's the deal. If you follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that everything's going to work out perfect. It doesn't mean that all your prayers are always going to be answered. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have these moments. But what it does mean is that, man, we've got a Savior, and we've got somebody who wants to help us and carry us through when these moments get a little bit too tough. And something really encouraging for us this morning is the disciples. We're going to jump to the book of Matthew, and we're going to look at the 12 disciples. Now, something really cool about the 12 disciples, when I was growing up, I used to always think that they had capes. They were like the Avengers. They were superheroes, man. Like, they would never have these bad moments in their lives. But you know the best thing about the disciples is they were just like you, and you, and you, and you. They were just like us. They had these not enough moments. And these were people that literally hung out with Jesus all day. They spent their whole lives following Jesus. I mean, they they would see him do these miracles, the water to wine, spitting in the ground, spitting in the ground, yeah, spitting in the ground to all of a sudden help a blind man see, walking on water, calming storms. They saw Jesus do all these things. And they still had moments where they thought they could not go and do enough. So that's encouraging for me because I thought, man, if the disciples struggle with that and they hung out with him in the flesh, it's probably okay if I do sometimes too. But let's jump to this not enough moment from the book of Matthew. Now, this miracle that we're going to talk about today, what's really cool about this miracle is it's the only miracle that's mentioned in all four Gospels and accounts of Jesus' life. And we're going to look at a few of them. We're going to look at Matthew, we're going to look at Mark, and we're going to look at John to kind of see how this situation really played out. But we're starting in Matthew here. It says, Jesus left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed. They followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Let's go. There we go. That evening, the disciples came to Jesus. I love this. They say, hey, Jesus, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. I love the disciples having to come and talk to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, in case you don't know, we're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, we're out here in the sticks somewhere, Jesus. Like, this is not really working out right now. And we've got a huge crowd. There's not really any places around right now where we can eat. And what I think here, I think the disciples 
probably bumped into a problem that a lot of us bump into when we have company over. We have friends come over and hang out. Like at 3 o'clock on a Sunday, they might watch the game. They might be there for a little bit. But guess what happens? 3 turns to 4, turns to 5, turns to 6. All of a sudden, your tummy starts rumbling a little bit. You and your wife are hungry, about to eat some dinner. But your friends are still there. So then you might look at your wife and say, hey, babe, did we get that special they had for two for five frozen pizzas? I hope we did, because we have to throw something in here to feed all these people. We don't know what we're going to do. And this is great because they tell Jesus, it's getting dark. Uh, you need to send these people away because they're about to not only just be hungry, they're about to be rangry. Now, rangry people are the craziest types of people. We're talking about people who aren't just hungry and angry. They're rude. They're hungry. And they're angry. And there's a whole crowd of them, Jesus. We need some help here. Uh, tell them to go, and they need to get food for themselves. And look how Jesus responds. Jesus says back to his disciples, that isn't necessary. You feed them. And I feel like I would have been one of those disciples who jumped next to Jesus and be like, yeah, you feed them. Pointing at his disciples. Okay, all right, Jesus, you want us to feed them. Hmm. I start checking my pockets, seeing if we have something in my burlap sack here because they still didn't carry a purse. Guys wouldn't do that. They start asking, we got any gum? Mints. Granola bars, bananas, berries. Find some berries. Maybe we can find a squirrel or a possum or something fried up real quick. Guys, we need some help. We got to feed all these people. This is a huge crowd. And Jesus wants us to feed them. I guess we missed the memo. And Jesus forgot to text us and tell us to bring food. I don't know what to do. Look what Mark says about this. This is probably how I would have responded and how a lot of us would too. Jesus, you want us to feed them? With what? We don't have any food. How are we supposed to feed all these people? Jesus, are you crazy? We can't do this. We don't have enough. They say, Jesus, we'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all of these people. Come on, Jesus, are you crazy? We, we don't have any food. There's nothing at all that we can do right now. Guys, when they said months, that was about 200 denarii, another translation says. That's like 200 days worth of wages. That's a lot of work to feed some strangers. And the disciples are like, we don't have that kind of money. We can't do this. We don't know what to do here. How are we going to feed them, Jesus? We can't do enough. And we'll jump to John to see how, uh, how he took this account. And I love this because, guys, Philip was from that area. He was from Bethesda, which was right around that area. Jesus turns to Philip and he asked him, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Hey, that'd be like if you guys have some friends coming to town. They're coming to hang out in Kernersville. Hey, where's a good place to eat? You're from there. Hey, Philip, you're from around here. Philip's probably like, dang it. <laughs> all right. Hey, Jesus, yeah. Okay, we need food for all these people. All right, let me think. It's Sunday, so Chick-fil-A's probably closed. They're out. And we're all the way out here in this remote area. Man, I knew I should have switched my service to Verizon. At least call and order some pizzas or something. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm so confused here. Philip was stuck. Jesus said, it said that Jesus was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. And we go to the next one here. And one of Philip's boys, Andrew, speaks up. Another disciple. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He said, hey, Jesus, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves. And two fish. Woo! But what good is that with this 
huge crowd. Andrew said, well, Jesus, maybe this could feed you or feed us, but we got a big crowd here. I don't, I don't know how that's going to work. And watch how John finishes it. Jesus says, okay, we have something. Tell everybody to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. And remember, this, this crowd would be crazy. They were, oh, we want food, going wild. Everybody just calm down, simmer down, let's sit down. And the men alone numbered about 5,000. Now, back in this day, it was not customary or traditional for women and children to eat with men in public. Some of, your, some of the men are like, yeah, I really wish my kids wouldn't eat with me now in public. But that's how it was back here. They were not allowed to do that. So, yeah, we say 5,000, but if we look at the averages from that day, from marriages and from kids, we think there were probably about 15,000 people that Jesus had to be responsible for feeding here. And let's finish it in Mark. Mark says that Jesus took the five loaves, the two fish. He looked up towards heaven, and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces... He kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. If there could ever be a moment from Jesus' teachings, or from the Bible, where I wish there was a social media account of this. I wish it went viral and somebody saw how Jesus all of a sudden turned these five loaves and two fish into enough to feed 15,000. It would be crazy. And I don't think it was like Mary Poppins, like, let me just pull in this sack and pull out a lamp, you know, because they didn't have lamps back then, obviously. But what I think it probably would have looked more like, one of two things. It could have looked like, Jesus had his prep station over here with some heavenly seasonings and heavenly sauce and all this delicious stuff. And I feel like it very easily could have been cloudy with a chance of not meatballs, but fish and loaves. And he could have been sitting here and all of a sudden they just come flying down. All the disciples would have been like, oh my goodness, look at that. And they would just would have loved it so much. That was an option. Or I think he could have been like Thanos, if we got any Marvel fans in the room with Infinity War, maybe Thanos took a page out of Jesus' book, and Jesus just saw the five loaves, saw the two fish, turned around a little bit, snapped his fingers, boom. And we had enough for everybody. Guys, the fact is, we don't know how Jesus did this. We really don't. But it doesn't matter how he did it. At the end of the day, it just matters who did it. And that he wants to do the same thing in our lives now. And he wants to be enough in those moments when we struggle so much. Now, guys, just to put this in perspective of how many people we had here. Do we have any Wake Forest fans this morning? Oh, we got one. All right, we got two, three. Oh, my great four. Wow. I am so sorry for y'all. Oh, man. Okay. No, that's great. So Wake Forest fans, your Coliseum can hold 14,665 fans in the basketball arena. Lawrence Joel. Jesus, now you know that packs out when Carolina comes to town, but it's okay. We won't go there. But with a packed house, Jesus would have fed more than that entire Coliseum. 
Baseball fans, we got the Winston-Salem Dash and the BB&T Stadium they have over there in Winston. Guys, that holds about 5,500 people. If you go to one of those games, and I'm talking packed out every seat, Jesus would have fed about three times as much as that stadium could hold at once. That's fascinating stuff. And Jesus didn't just feed the people in the front. He fed everybody. I mean, I, I would think that you got flashbulbs up here. That would probably be people in the back, the shorter people uh, with binoculars looking, saying, what is he doing? Is, are we all going to be able to get some food? Is it going to happen for us? And he did. And another thing about this food, I think it was delicious. Because just stay with me here. If the food was not that good, and that sandwich was terrible, what do you guys think people would have walked away saying? Yeah, this Jesus, yeah, he fed us, man. That food was awful. I'm not following that guy. He doesn't know how to make a sandwich. He doesn't know how to make fish. He doesn't know how to make loaves. It just wasn't that good. Guys, the food had to be delicious, just like with the water into wine, when they said that Jesus saved the best wine for last. Another really cool thing about this miracle, gentlemen, you guys will be with me, leftovers. Leftovers are a beautiful thing. It's delicious. It's wonderful, right? That's how good the food was, enough for everybody, all the disciples to leave with a basket full. And the one thing that I always come back to the most is I love the disciples in this story. It reminds me in my own life that I am broken just like they are. And I'm going to doubt Jesus sometimes. And I'm going to wonder if I have enough sometimes. And I'm going to wonder if I'm going to be able to do enough sometimes. The disciples were right there, and they were living in that. But you know where the disciples got in trouble? They lost sight. Right there in the middle of the crowd, with the craziness, with the chaos, when they didn't think they could do enough, they lost sight of who they were following. Hold on, Jesus, I got to feed all these people. It would cost this much money. I don't have food. We didn't bring anything. How are we going to do this? There's no way. Even if they actually organized a way to feed 15,000 people, that would be extremely challenging and tough and take a whole lot of time. Guys, the disciples just lost sight of who they were following. They thought about their own abilities and their own inabilities. And I think for a lot of us, when it comes to our not enough moments that we're struggling with right now in our own life, we lose sight of who we're following. We do. We completely forget who Jesus is. I know I struggle with that. As a husband, as a dad, as a leader with impact and these awesome students and incredible volunteers, it's easy to lose sight and we think about what only we can do. But as followers of Jesus, that's where we got it wrong. That's where the disciples messed up. You know why? Because it's not about what we can do. It's about what Jesus can do. Guys, when you get in your not enough moment this week and you feel like you cannot do enough, and you don't have enough, and that angry crowd starts making noise. It's not about what you can do. It's about what Jesus can do. It's about what he wants to do to help you right in the middle of those moments. Another way to look at it, y'all, is this. When you can't, he can. When you can't do enough, when you can't give enough, when you can't be enough, when your marriage is just, it, it's done, I can't keep going. My job, I can't keep going. My health, I can't keep going. 
my family, I got to be strong for them, my friends. I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing with school. School's coming up. It's my first year of college. Or man, I got to figure out what I'm doing after college. I don't have enough. When you can't, he can. Two weeks ago, we had Camp Kids Summit right here. Uh, Camp Kids Summit is it's an incredible week. It's a whole lot of fun with our Kids Summit students from kindergarten all the way up through fifth grade. And we hang out here for a week. The theme this year was Mad Science. And we definitely had fun with all sorts of crazy explosions. But something that was really cool this year were some of our impact students. These are some of our middle schoolers and our high schoolers right here who decided to serve and to be leaders for some of the younger students. And what was so funny is we're getting ready for camp and first day of camp, we're all getting here. And I'm running through in my mind and my wife, Whitney, you know, I'm talking with her about it and all the adults, I feel like we struggle with this. I know I certainly do. I was over planning, thinking about what I have to do. What am I responsible for? Man, what about my abilities? What about my inabilities? What about what I cannot do? And I started to ask some of these impact kids here, I asked a couple of them, hey, what are, you, what are you in charge of this week? You know what they responded? I don't know. I was like, what? You don't know? No, nah, I'm just here. I'm just going to here and serve and have some fun, man. I said, wow. I asked somebody else, what are you doing? I think I'm doing a junior chef or a Nerf Wars or something. It's going to be fun. I was like, dude, you're not, like, worried about that? You're not stressing out? No, no, it's fine. Something that was so cool with these students is, yeah, they might not have responded the best way sometimes when a kid asks them a question about their faith or about all these books in the Bible or about how much they know about Jesus. They might not have responded the best way because they probably might not know. But it's not about what exactly you know. It's about what Jesus can really do with what you know in those times. It's not about their limitations. It's not about uh, their problems or their worries or their past. What was so cool about them is that they lived out the fact that it's not about what I can do. It's not about what we can do. It's about what Jesus can do through us as we're serving this week. And I was like, man, imagine if we took this mindset right here of these awesome impact students and these future leaders, and if we said as a church, what if we said, it's not about what we can do. It's about what Jesus can do through us. When we leave here and we get in the car and we jump right back in to that not enough moment that you don't know what else to do with, what if you could say in that moment, it's not about what I can do. It's not about that at all. Because I know when I can't, Jesus can and what if, guys, what if we were the small groups, the husbands, the wives, the dads, the moms, the brothers and sisters, the friends, the co-workers, the neighbors? What if we were that group of people that when not enough moments hit you or hit people around you, what if we could be like the disciples and just remind each other, hey, when you lose your focus and you lose your sight on Jesus, it's okay. Because he wants to help you, not just be enough, but he wants to help you get through that enough and always be there for you. What's so cool, guys, is that we talk about Jesus as we wrap up this series and the miracle series, and we talk about our God, and 
our God is still an awesome God of miracles. And may, maybe he won't show up in a cafeteria with 15,000 hungry people. But you know, the coolest thing is he'll probably show up right in the middle of your not enough. If you let him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you are a God of miracles. God, you're a God to carry us through our not enough moments. Those times when we just don't have enough to keep fighting and keep going and keep moving and keep living and keep being the same person on the outside as everybody thinks that we are. God, you know us inside and out. You know how we feel. You know what we're struggling with. Father, I pray this morning that we can remember that it's not about what we can do. It's about what you can do. Father, please help us. As soon as we get caught in those moments, when we know that we can't do anything else or give anything else or be anything more, help us to know that it's okay because you can. Help us to keep our focus on you, Lord. Thank you for the disciples. Thank you for their doubt, for their disbelief, for their questioning of you. Thank you for their times when they said they just couldn't do it on their own. God, because that encourages us and it reminds us that we don't have to either. Father, we love you. We are so thankful that you are our God of miracles. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.